0: What would Dakota want me to do, you know, like to be the best person and to be the happiest and the most present? So yeah, I launched the business and I wouldn't have done it without her. The book wouldn't be here without her. Nothing.
1: You're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 63 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. Before we get started, I feel like I should let you know that you might need a box of tissues nearby for part of this episode. I always want to do my best to be genuine and real and authentic and honest with you. And right now, that's going to be a little sad (laughs) because we know. Every time we get to welcome a dog into our home and into our family, we inevitably know that one day that that's going to come to an end. And no matter when that happens, it's always going to be too soon because forever would never be long enough. So unfortunately, I took a little mini unexpected hiatus uh, with the podcast this last couple weeks because we very suddenly said goodbye to my girl Penny. Uh, she suffered a sudden health crisis on Friday the 13th of January of all days and we spent 48 hours scrambling trying to figure out what was going on if anything could be done to save her to give her a continued quality of life. But uh, in the end we ended up having to let her go and saying goodbye on January 15th. So we spent seven and a half beautiful and amazing years with Penny that I would never trade for anything in the entire world. Um, But I got to tell you, those those bright sunny days, those unexpectedly warm days that you get in the winter when you can't wait to go outside and crack the windows down, I feel like it's going to be a long time before those feel quite the same to me now that I don't have Penny to share them with and to watch her head out the window which was her just most favorite thing in the whole entire world. But I keep thinking, so many of you know the story of how I found Penny in an alley in Baltimore when my friend Mindy, who was on the second episode of the podcast, Mindy, we were out TNRing cats with an organization that Mindy uh, volunteered for. And that's literally how I found Penny, just trotting out of this alley, where there was literally nothing and no one around. And we did take her to the Baltimore shelter because we thought that was the responsible thing. But as soon as I could, I brought her home and she's been by my side ever since and by my side for almost every podcast interview that you've heard for many of the times when I'm recording these introductory segments, she's by my side. And even though it's Lucy, my very first ever dog that made me fall in love with dogs, who is the Believe in Dog podcast logo, Penny was so very much a part of this podcast and every moment that has gone into it. But I keep thinking that as unexpectedly and dramatically as she crashed into my life, I guess she had to leave in an equally unexpected and dramatic fashion. And for that, the goal was accomplished. (laughs) And I'll be honest that I had considered for a few minutes whether I should change up the order of the episodes that I had planned, because today we're going to be hearing from Lisa Rimmert, who wrote an incredibly beautiful book called Stay, My Forever Friendship with an Aging Dog. And Lisa tells the story of having to face the facts that her dog was getting older and wasn't actually going to be with her forever and ever, at least not physically. And I wondered whether I was going to be able to, to, to edit this, to listen back to it. And, and then I just thought that, no, I, I think this was, you know, the universe, the higher power, the fates, whatever, telling me that, this is in fact what I needed to hear right now. And I don't know how many of you are out there listening who are dealing with something. And I guess I always hope that I'm sharing something with you that is something that you need to hear as well. And I think Lisa Rumert is going to be the perfect person for you to hear from today. Lisa is a burgeoning comedian. She is... A military spouse who has never been interested in having her own children and she doesn't even really identify with the term dog mom or pet parent because to her Dakota was her best friend and they were best friends and they did everything best friends do and so when Lisa's best friend Dakota the elder states dog started having some incidents where she was pooping in the house just so you know you're gonna hear the word poop several times during this episode and Lisa had to suddenly come to terms with the fact that this degenerative spinal condition that her dog was experiencing was maybe a little more serious than she had initially realized. And Lisa had the benefit of her husband being a doctor, which, as she tells us, is kind of like a veterinarian, but for people. And he was helping educate her and guide her on what are the best decisions to make for their dog Dakota as she got older and sometimes Lisa's really honest and vulnerable and said I don't want to hear this. I don't want to be the grown up. I don't want to have to be the one to make these decisions and I th- I think that she shares this extremely heartfelt story in a very humorous way that can help us all reflect on what we go through with an aging dog and having to stress and learn about these conditions and make these decisions for somebody who isn't able to tell us what they want. And whether that's a decision that comes upon you very suddenly, like we just experienced with Penny, or whether it's a decision that you're thinking about over a long period of time as you watch them and try to assess their quality of life, like it's never an easy decision either way. I'm so grateful to Lisa for this beautiful conversation and it's really meaningful to me how much I was talking about Penny and how much of this conversation that she was because we recorded this, I think back in November and I had no way of knowing at that time what would be going on in my life as I sit here today. So it's very special to me that she was as much a part of this conversation as, as she was. You'll also get to hear Lisa and I's public service announcements of things that we've learned the hard way over the years that we want every pet parent or dog best friend to know. So let's get started. I can't wait for you to meet Lisa Rimmert. So we are here today with Lisa Rimmert. Lisa, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am great. I'm so excited to talk to you. I have So much I want to talk to you about. So you recently put out your first book, which is called Stay, My Forever Friendship with an Aging Dog. And this just really spoke to my heart, I have to tell you. (laughs) Oh,
0: thank you. Yeah, it's a a heartfelt book, I think.
1: (laughs) And uh, I always love by starting out by asking about your childhood experiences, some of which I know about from the book. So tell us, are you somebody who did grow up loving dogs and, and loving animals from a young age?
0: I was. Yeah, um I feel like when I came out of the birth canal, <laughs> I I already had an affinity for dogs and also like writing and drawing. So it it kind of makes sense the trajectory that I <laughs> that I went down. Yeah, I think um I don't remember obviously when I was that young, but my parents had a dog. I believe when I was born they already had a dog and um and we we had many dogs after that and I kind of go into that in the book that you know, we were, we were a different family. It was a different time. We had a different perspective on pet ownership and, um, kind of the responsibilities that come with it. And so we ended up having a a number of dogs throughout my childhood. So I was, and I'm always the person at the party that's like, Oh, there's a dog. See you guys later. (laughs) So it's, yeah, it's always been a part of my personality.
1: Well, I thought it was interesting that you did share. And and I've had other people on the podcast share before, too, that they grew up with like an outside dog kind of situation at one point. And now they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe we we did that. But it was kind of just that's how things were.
0: Yeah, I think it was really different. Even you know, when I was young, I'm I'm not that old. Um, but, but I, I feels-
1: think we're close to the same age. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm 39 now, and when I- which is not that old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, very young. And but even you know, in that short amount of time, I feel like things have changed a lot. And then you know, just being in animal advocacy as an adult, I think my my mind sh- has shifted a lot too. And now sometimes I just saw something on the internet where someone was selling a dog house and I'm like a doghouse? Like, I'm so in my bubble. (laughs) What is a doghouse for?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's really funny how things have changed just in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. Oh, I have to ask because we're, I'm a little older, but we're close to the same age. Do you remember the pound puppies?
0: I do. And I think I had them, but my memory is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) don't remember a lot about
1: them. Because even though I didn't really grow up with pets, I always assumed that you adopted a pet from the pound, from the shelter, and I think I got that from the pound puppies.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I
1: love that. (laughs) So, yeah, tell us a little bit. It sounds like you've had some really interesting work experiences working in nonprofits, in animal advocacy, and I think it almost sounded like it's one of those things like, be careful what you wish for.
0: (laughs) yeah exactly. Um, I feel like it's a it's a really privileged thing to say something critical about having a job you love, <laughs> right But, uh, yeah, when you have a job that's your passion, which I, I worked and I talk in the book about um, working for an animal advocacy organization, it I just I worked from home. I had no boundaries. I worked in the evening. I you know, I was like, as long as I had my laptop, I could do my job. And so um, a lot of times, you know, my husband would come in the room and say, Are you working right now? And I was kind of like, I don't even know, like, I'm kind of doing some work, but I'm also kind of chatting with a friend on Facebook. And so I just really let everything blur. And that's part of the story that you'll you'll read in the book that, you know, going through a, a what can be a stressful time taking care of a senior dog. And at the same time, there's kind of this like B story of me also letting myself get stressed out about work. And, it, you know, which is kind of all my fault. Now we're learning about boundaries. And um, <laughs> I feel like uh, people younger than us, especially Gen Z are getting really good at that. And I love it. But I was not at the time.
1: Yeah, it, it's a hard thing. Like, I feel like it's definitely something that has to be learned because, yeah, I don't think I ever had a really good, uh, I never had that modeled very well for me <laughs> in, in life. And, and it's been up to me to figure out.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a thing that you you learn by trial and error, at least <laughs> at least for me.
1: And so you also do some comedy. Is that right?
0: I do. Yeah. So I, I do local shows here and there. And I just moved from Michigan to Washington State. And so I'm kind of every time you move, you kind of start over a little bit, um, unless you're super famous, which I'm definitely not. Uh, (laughs) So starting over and doing some local shows and getting to know people, but it's a really fun outlet for creativity. And I, of course, put some dog jokes and animal jokes (laughs) in my set. So uh, I can talk about dogs from stage also. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so one thing I remember thinking uh y- you mentioned in the book that you you kind of had a really nice life like you you had you know you always kind of think everything's going to work out for the best and and it kind of always just did and and I actually remember thinking to myself oh it's really funny to me that she's in comedy cuz I thought everybody in comedy was like really dark and messed up <laughs>
0: Yeah, I feel like an outsider everywhere I go. Uh, you know, I had really super- – and still have really supportive parents and, you know, very little drama and, yeah, I'm I'm surrounded by people that are like, I'm in comedy because I'm messed up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I think I'm in comedy because my parents love me too much.
1: <laughs> right, like, uh, you're like, my parents are still married to each other and everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like white picket fence life, lots of privilege, <laughs> it's like – I don't know what I'm doing in comedy, but I'm sure there's something if I went to a therapist and really dug deep. <laughs> I'm sure we all have something.
1: <laughs> so most of your, your book is written about the journey with your dog, Dakota. And I, I love that name. I think that was like such a great dog name. So tell us about, you know, making the decision to get Dakota. When did she come into your life? And, and you're also a military spouse, right?
0: Yeah, I am. So, uh, and I was a military kid as well. Um, so we moved around a lot when I was a kid, and I'm still doing it <laughs> now with my husband. Um, but yeah, Dakota was my first dog. Um, I, like I said, we had several dogs growing up that were, you know, I, I would maybe think of them as mine or. Um, have an affinity for certain ones that felt like mine, but they were my parents' dogs and my parents made the decisions. And my mom kind of trended toward liking small dogs. And I'm a big dog person. I, I want to be rough with them and, um, you know, throw them in the backseat of the car and go wherever. And uh, so I, as soon as I got married, which I got married, I, I graduated college, got married and moved from Illinois to North Carolina, where my husband was stationed because he was already in the military. I did all of those things within the span of like two months. And so I really (laughs) went from being like completely dependent My parents to kind of being completely dependent on my husband, Um, (laughs) but being able to make grown up decisions. And the first grown up decision that I made was, We are getting a dog (laughs) as soon as possible. So um, I went, I actually started, this was in North Carolina. I started looking for pit bulls because I had worked at an animal shelter during college and I knew a lot about how pit bulls are mistreated. And, you know, I think they're like, don't quote me, but something like 50% of homeless dogs are pit bulls or just. There's so many who need our help. And so I thought I'm going to get a pit bull and I'm going to um, rescue them and I'm going to show everybody how sweet they are and just be an advocate. And <laughs> yeah, which I know you do a ton
1: of. Yeah, fun. I'm like, that's my life.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that was my thing. And I I do have this annoying quality where I try to make everything into advocacy. So like even adopting a dog, I'm like, how can I advocate for of pit bulls, but um, it was really hard at, at least at the time to adopt a pit bull in North Carolina. There were a lot of um, barriers. Some appropriate, some maybe going too far in my opinion. But their you know hearts are in the right place trying to keep these dogs safe because a lot of people buy them buy them and adopt them for the wrong reasons. Um, anyway, so I I brought into my search and just started looking for like any kind of big dog, hound, shepherd, whatever, um, and found Dakota on petfinder.com and uh, saw her picture and never turned back.
1: <laughs> and so what kind of dog was Dakota?
0: That's a great question. <laughs> um, I still don't know. She was a brown dog, about ba- like golden brown fawn, um, whatever you want to call it. And she was about 55 pounds at her heaviest and a lot of people think she was like a Ridgeback mix or some kind of Lab shepherd mix. Um, Blackmouth Kerr is a, is a breed, I, depending on who you ask, it's a real breed or not. <laughs> but there's a lot of dogs labeled Blackmouth Kerr in the North Carolina and, and all along the, so, the like, southern corridor. So we don't really know. I bought a DNA test um, later in her life, but never got a chance to use it. But I was one of those people who anytime I saw a dog like her, like somebody walking a dog who looked like her, I would stop and roll down the window and be like, do you know what kind of dog you have? <laughs> I was always curious.
1: Well, I love the the picture of her on the cover of the book. Like, you know, she kind of has that doggy smile going on and you're just like, oh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's I think one of the reasons I loved her so much and and even initially was She was just a run of the mill dog. You know, I just those are my types of dog. Like anytime you see a picture of a street dog in any country, this country, India, Mexico, anywhere, that kind of just like generic looking brown short coated dog. Those are my dogs. And that's what Dakota (laughs) was. And I will mention, um, just to give a shout out, the the illustration on the cover was done by Rachel McGuire, who's a really amazing artist in St. Louis and also happens to be a friend of mine. And she gave me that as a gift, not for the book, but uh when when she gave it to me and I decided I was writing a book, I was like, Oh, this is the perfect cover. It is. It is the
1: perfect cover. <laughs> it definitely makes you smile. <laughs> yeah. And so with being a military spouse and having a dog, I mean, it sounded like you guys moved a lot, like she was and she was, you know, really kind of like your your ride or die buddy through through some of that.
0: Yeah, she had been uh, all across the country, crossing it multiple times. And she'd been to the Painted Desert and Mount Rushmore. And (laughs) she was more cultured than a lot of humans. (laughs) Um, And and we took her with us every time. It was never a question, you know, is Dakota going with us? Uh, That was never – I always tease my husband. I'm like, if you get stationed somewhere that we really can't bring Dakota – then you're going by yourself. <laughs> you know, like she's, she's coming with me and she's number one on my list. And <laughs> you're a close second, but you're a second, buddy.
1: <laughs> and one of the, my favorite quotes from the book is where you're talking about your husband and you're like, he's like a doctor. That's like a veterinarian for people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It's all about dogs. <laughs> Everything else is secondary. <laughs>
1: I just thought that was a great way to describe it.
0: (laughs) It was actually really helpful to have someone. So he does physical medicine, which is a lot of like just your physical body, like muscles and nerves and joints and all all the, I mean, it's hard to describe, but um, I'll get in trouble if I describe it wrong. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But he knows a lot about like the musculoskeletal system. And so it was really nice to have him with that knowledge, as we were taking care of an elderly dog whose, you know, body was kind of starting to have issues. And I would turn to him and be like, what is this? And what does that mean? And what's, what's edema? And, you know, all those medical
1: words. Right. There was a couple other things that I just had to crack up in in your book. And, and I love when when people write about just sort of your daily dog life, you know, and, and you talking silly voices like that you have like a the dog voice, you know, because we totally do that. And they know what walk and ride is. So it's like, I'm gonna go for a W. And and yep. with our dogs, it's like they even, if you say go for, they get like all excited, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. She definitely knew all my words and even and some some things I didn't even realize until later how just like to what level she understood my nonverbals you know, I would put on socks and she'd be like, okay, I'm Mm -hmm. listening. And then she's like watching for tennis shoes and she knows what those mean, but she knows like, you know, all the clues leading up to the thing that we actually think, you know, that the dogs know (laughs) they're way smarter than we give them credit.
1: My dog Nino, he just goes and puts himself in the crate every morning when I put my makeup on. Cause that's like the last thing I do before I leave the house. Like I never have to tell him to get in the crate. He's just like, oh, she's in the bathroom doing the makeup. Boom, you know, get some. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, they just—they're such a part of our our day and our our daily routine and and like, man, do they know it. like know our every little you know movement or quirk or.
0: <laughs> yes. Exactly.
1: So the book starts out, and and I could relate to this so much with with some of what I've been going through with my girl Penny right now, with kind of like, there's a mystery poop accident in the house.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the chapter one is, uh, uh, yeah, for anyone who uh, is interested in the book, just know that the word poop is in it (laughs) so many times. Um, And chapter one actually starts out with her. Pooping in the living room, and you know that was not at all a normal thing. So, it started us on this trajectory of trying to figure out, well, what's going on. We knew she had some arthritis, and so is it that? Is it because it's cold outside and she's trying to avoid going outside? Uh, You know, does she have something else wrong? So we ended up taking her to uh, well, we went to her regular veterinary clinic first, but we ended up going to a specialist, and um, which I think. I had been to a specialist before, but it had been probably five years since then. And I kind of forgot even that there were specialists <laughs> for, for veterinary medicine. But of course, having a doctor as a husband, he knows uh he knows about these things. And so we basically took her to a specialist that does for dogs what my husband does for people. <laughs> so, and then you know, kind of going down the the path of discovery. And also different kinds of denial <laughs> about, about whether or not my dog was old and whether or not she would get old and, you know, whether or not we would ever lose her. And uh, I just, I was in denial at every point in the process.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think you talk about, uh, you know, wanting to punch your vet for calling them a senior <laughs> dog. <laughs> yeah, I did
0: that. I didn't, I didn't actually do it, but yeah, I was very mad <laughs> for a while. <laughs> at the suggestion
1: i I totally relate that you know my my penny is now called a geriatric dog and I was very offended by that
0: term yes that's very rude <laughs> yeah my dog Dakota was i think she was eight when the vet first called her a senior and I was just like I'm so sorry she's middle-aged. I don't know why we need to pretend she's old, you know. And I at that time, I used to I used to tell people they would ask how old is your dog. And and she was very energetic for a really long time, and so we would be walking and she'd be pulling me along and trying to get to whatever other dog was out in front of us, and people would say, "Oh, how old's your puppy?" And I'd have to say, "She's 10." <laughs> But I was convinced because she had such high energy and she was always, always so healthy. I was really, I really think I convinced myself that we could make it to a really large number. And so I would joke with people, we're we're going for 20 and they'd laugh at me and I'd be like, okay, I don't know why you're
1: laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Seems reasonable. <laughs> I totally, I just, I totally, totally get this. And I, I had a situation recently, Penny had a UTI she maybe has some kidney stuff going on which is like scary to think about and she literally one night jumped up on the sofa made eye contact with me and started peeing on the oh. sofa and i'm like what like <laughs> this is new You don't want to, like, yell, but I'm like, you know, okay, let's go outside, you know. (laughs) And then you're like, something is very wrong right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's really
0: weird that that transition of, you know, Dakota started pooping in the house. And a nicer person would maybe say defecate. I don't know, but I I like to keep things conversational. But she started using the bathroom in the house and yeah, at first you're like, wait, this is a thing I taught you not to do. Is it something, are you in trouble for it? Like, you know, you know, it's it's difficult to know how to react at first when you don't realize it's like a medical issue or what have you.
1: And, and I just, I think you do such a great job describing like all of the internal monologue that we have of like, is something wrong with my dog? Uh, you know, am I going to, put them through this surgery? You know, am I making the right decisions? You know, I think it's really hard for pet parents, especially, you know, and you had the benefit of, of having a, a, a spouse that's a, a doctor that, you know, we had a little extra insight on this, but I, I think it's really hard for pet parents to to know if we're making the right decisions. And, and so I think, you know, so much of, of, of what you describe about that, like every pet parent can totally relate to having these you know internal discussions in their head.
0: Yeah, it's rough. I mean, I don't think there's such a thing as a right decision. There's definitely an informed decision and that's a good thing. But oh yeah, all those questions come up for anyone, even even people who have a a spouse who's a doctor, it's I st- I don't know anything, right? And, and so uh it's it's really tough I think for a lot of people or maybe everyone to decide the medical decisions along the way. And and you're trying to make decisions for someone who can't tell you what they would want, which makes it even more difficult. You're kind of trying to guess, you know, quality versus quantity and what's the good balance there. And yeah, it's it's a rough time.
1: I remember uh, my old gal, Kalua, um, she was our, our knee dog. She blew her her CCLs, which is the canine equivalent of the ACL. Uh, and uh, a lot of – now, she was older when she did it. And there's surgeries that you can, can go through with your dogs. And I know a lot of people – pit bulls seem to be very prone to this whole CCL issue. And I know a lot of people that have done the surgeries. And it's kind of a brutal – surgery where i mean they literally are like breaking your dog's leg bone and putting in titanium and i mean it's a it's a brutal in my opinion surgery and it's a brutal recovery so you know with clua we're like she's 11 years old uh every time she's ever gone under anesthesia she's kind of had a bad reaction to it. And I don't know if it's the anesthesia itself or they'll give pain meds uh, afterwards. And she's like out of it for days and like miserable and like whining around the clock. And you have to keep them on crate rest for like a couple of weeks. And she hated being in the crate to the point where she literally like busted her face up, you know, to like get out of the crate. Mm. And I'm like, how can I put this dog, you know, through this, you know? And, And so we went into looking into other alternatives. And, and, you know, and like, there was a lot of factors to, to go into. And, you know, and I, I appreciated where you were talking about, where you were kind of pushing towards the surgery at one point, and then your husband's kind of like, well, is that how she's going to want to spend the rest of her time here, you know? And, and I thought that that was such a kind and loving way, uh, you know, to, to look at, at it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's, It's really funny to turn part of your life into a story, and because it requires fitting things into a narrative arc. And in my story, my husband turns out to be kind of the antagonist of the story, but that's because he's the one pushing me toward facing reality. Um, So he's the good guy, but in the story, he's kind of the antagonist. Right. Um, And he definitely shifted how I thought about surgery. I was I was a total brat. I'll admit it. I was someone who if if a friend of mine or if somebody I heard about said their dog has an issue, but they weren't doing the surgery, I was I would judge them. You know, I would be like, well, I would do anything it takes to to get my dog better. And then I learned through, you know, the process and through my husband, um, kind of guiding the process, I learned that surgeries don't always fix things, you know, like that I think of it as this silver bullet thing. We'll just go get surgery and then it'll be fixed. And that's not really the case in a lot of situations. Um, and, and yeah, like you're saying, there is a lot more to, to it than just surgery. There's, there's the healing time and there's the anesthesia and there's the medication and, you know, just how much, how much time your dog has left to me doesn't dictate how well they get treated, but it does dictate how you want them to spend the, the rest of their time. Um, and oh man, those are hard decisions, right? Cause you don't really know how much time they have left. So you're kind yeah. of just doing your best and guessing and making the best decisions that you can with the information you have at the time.
1: Yeah. And, and you just do such a great job of kind of Describing all of that. (laughs) Like, it's really, you know, it's like I'm reading it like, yes, yes,
0: yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yes, 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 in some parts, and no, 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 in other parts.
1: (laughs) And I feel like I need to do a PSA real quick and let people know that if their dog does tear their CCL, that you have multiple other options besides surgery. But if you go to a surgeon, they're going to tell you you need surgery. So, it's helpful to go to a rehabilitative type veterinarian that will give you all of the options. End of my PSA.
0: <laughs> yeah, can I add on to your PSA? Yes, please do. So I feel like I'm talking about my husband a lot. Shout out, uh, but he who, who he does not want attention, so that's very funny. Um, but he always says, in in terms of doctors, but like every every profession, I'm sure it's it's the same that. If they're a hammer, everything's going to look like a nail. Yeah, so oh my God,
1: you, I, I've said that so many times.
0: <laughs> if you go to a surgeon, they're going to be like, "Oh, I think probably surgery could fix this." If you go to, you know, an acupuncturist, they're going to think acupuncture can fix everything. So, uh, yeah, I do think making an informed decision is good, and that and that probably, if you can, if you have the means and the time to do so, means talking to a few different people and <laughs> just making sure that you know what all the options are.
1: Yes, yes thank you for chiming in on my PSA.
0: (laughs) (laughs) End of PSA. There might be more after this.
1: (laughs) And so one of the other things that I appreciated, and I felt like very much like this kindred spirit with you is like where you're talking about like, look, I didn't even want to have kids (laughs) because I don't have kids, (laughs) you know, and, and I never saw myself in like uh, wanting to be a caretaker. And, you know, I wasn't looking to like embrace that sort of caretaking nurture type role, you know, like kind of I'm gonna just do me kind of thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yet I love taking care of my dogs, you know, in in that way. And I and I've been surprised at my own self. And I think probably my husband and my parents and my in-laws and everybody who knows me has probably been surprised to see how much I have embraced that role of caretaking with the dogs. And it was kind of like discovering this new part of myself that, that maybe I didn't know I had, or that maybe I thought I wouldn't like and never leaned into it.
0: Yeah, we're definitely kindred spirits in this regard. That's exactly my experience. I, uh, so I know you interviewed Meredith May, the author, uh, her book, Loving Edie. I read it and was like, Oh my gosh, she put into words exactly what I was feeling I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong, but she said something about how she wanted to be, she wanted a companion, not not someone who needed caretaking, right? And that's exactly, I don't know if I knew that going into adopting Dakota, but it's definitely what I always felt. And I don't know, it, I always saw her as my friend. People would say, oh, fur mom or pet parent or whatever. And I was always like, no, 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 I don't want to be anything near that she's my friend we're best friends and we you know we go on adventures together and we live our lives together and we have fun together and that's that and yeah as she started getting older as she started needing caretaking and she had been her entire life she was um very independent and She wasn't very snuggly. She was kind of like, "Eh, get off me, you know. I don't need. I don't need this kind of love. Like I need treats and adventure. I don't really need hugs and kisses. And so it was always kind of a joke. And she, she let me off the hook. I think um, with because of her personality, because she didn't need a caretaker for a long time, and so I didn't have to be one. And it all worked out really well, and everything was going great. And then you know she started to decline a bit when she was older. And started needing more and more care and supervision. And I started really finding joy and fulfillment in that. And then I, one day, I kind of like did a double take at myself. Like, wait, how did I get here? And, you know, I always knew that I would take care of her and do anything she needed. But it was really surprising to me that I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, Depend on me, I thought, ugh, never. I don't ever want that. Um, I still really rebel against <laughs> any things like that. I'm like, you take care of you, I'll take care of me, and then we'll have a great relationship. But uh yeah, I, I loved it and and I think it's one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done.
1: Yeah, same here. <laughs> you know my my old gal lucy uh she was my first the first dog we ever adopted. She was totally like my husband's girl like that like that was his girl and the last like year and a half when she was sick uh she had a very long drawn out kind of illness situation and and I really became the primary caretaker in my whole day. You know, I had alarms set on my phone for like, she needs this then, she needs this then, you know, like my whole day was like structured around it and you know, in the evenings I would be like laying on the sofa, you know, we have kind of like an L-shaped sofa. And so my husband would kind of be at one end and I kind of be at the other end and she would be coming to me and she would lay down on the floor next to me and she would kick like when she wanted pets and stuff. And, (laughs) and that, I mean, it like kind of, you know, I mean, I always loved her. We always had a great relationship, but, you know, I'm like, oh, like this is for me, you know, (laughs) like it, it was very special. Um, and and now with Penny, you know Penny's Penny's my girl, um, and and Nino is is my husband's boy, and so it's just uh, you know, and Penny's really the first dog that I feel like is like my girl, you know, and and it's just very special to have that kind of relationship where they're they're looking to you and seeking you out.
0: Yeah, I will say though, <laughs> there are those times where we're both laying on the couch and uh, the dog needs to go outside. And it's, you know, maybe you're living somewhere cold and it's winter and you're like, why don't you just be (laughs) Brad's girl tonight? (laughs) Why do you ask me all the time (laughs) to go outside?
1: (laughs) I I also love the term you use, elder states dog.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had a a trip to the dog park one day where there was an elderly gentleman who when we came in with Dakota, he was just flabbergasted. And uh, usually I would hate that because I didn't like when people pointed out, you know, that she was a senior or that she was getting older. And so I'd be like, mind your business. (laughs) But he was just so he was being so positive about it and just so just taken aback that that she was. I think that she was old and that she was still walking and getting around and coming to the dog park and having a good time. And he called her uh, an elder statesman. And so um, I decided elder states dog (laughs) is a better fit.
1: I like it. And so with Dakota, uh, is it lumbar stenosis? Is that kind of the issue that she had? Did I say that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's several words for it, but yeah, basically a um, degenerative spine issue. That's really nothing out of the ordinary. I think a lot of maybe every dog, I don't even know, like, you know, if you get old enough, you're probably going to get that dogs and humans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it's just the normal process that happens where your spine, you know, starts kind of breaking down, but I didn't know any of that. And if I hadn't gone to a specialist, I still wouldn't know it. I would just think she was getting older and maybe had arthritis or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's what she ended up having. And uh, it, it actually can look a lot just like your dog's getting older um, because it's all the same kind of symptoms. It's their back legs started getting weaker and they start, you know, having a harder time getting up from laying down and all those normal things. But it's, I say normal and I know how I felt at the time, which was no, no, <laughs> no, no problems are normal. <laughs> you know, I didn't want any problems. I was definitely a person who I would go to the vet thinking, okay, whatever I need to pay them or tell them or, or have them do to keep my dog alive for as long as possible. Like that's how I thought of it. Like just avoid, uh, avoid death. <laughs> it's just like, which is not a thing you can do, but, um, but that was my unreasonable expectation of veterinarians at the time.
1: (laughs) I I totally get that. And I I also just appreciated, like, I feel like, when our dogs do have these health issues, like, suddenly, like, we become, like, the experts, right? Uh, it's like, we know, like, well, it's this, and there's all these different treatment options, and I'm, you know, like, I'm doing, you know, option A, but there's B and C, and, you know, there's these things to consider, and it's like, suddenly, we have this whole new language of, of you know, medical stuff with our dog that we did not expect to, like, become this expert in.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then I don't know if you were like me, but uh, I was definitely the person that was like, hey, everyone, there's this thing and your dog might have it. And, you know, I, was, I became the, the hammer and everything was a
1: nail. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to do another PSA here. <laughs> when my dog Lucy was sick, part of what she had was seizures. And the vet was thinking it was some sort of epilepsy. It was some kind of brain tumor. And I didn't just accept that. And kept pushing the issue. And we found out that she had a condition called insulinoma. And this is almost like the opposite of diabetes. So, what happens is there's a tumor in the pancreas that causes so much insulin, it pushes the blood sugar down. And the low blood sugar is what is causing them to have seizures. Mm. So, if anybody ever has a senior dog that starts having seizures out of anywhere, make sure they do a fasting blood sugar test. It's super cheap, it's like $15 for your vet to do this. but that was and en- that ended up ha- being how we got the correct answer for our dog and it was cuz I kept pushing and going to other vets cuz I didn't believe what they were saying and it turned out I was right.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that PSA. I do think it's really important, you know, like healthcare professionals know their stuff, but we know ourselves and our animals, so a lot of times we kind of lose that or we forget that. And it's super important for us to be advocates too. Yes. I will say, and I, I think this is in the book. Um, i just, I touched on it, but when Dakota was about seven, seven, somewhere around there, um, she had a blockage and the vet said, I think it's either going to be spleen cancer or a blockage. And I was like, well, then it's spleen cancer because she's, you know, seven years old. She doesn't eat toys like she's way past that puppy phase of chewing on everything. And, uh, you know, she was a, a very calm, like normal adult, fully adult dog. And I just thought, I know my dog and she doesn't eat toys. And that's that. And we got a I don't remember an MRI or something. And it showed that it was a blockage. And it ended up being because she had been on a steroid for some kind of infection, I think. Recently, and steroids can make dogs super hungry (laughs) for maybe things they wouldn't normally eat, like pieces of toys. And so it was a blockage. So I'm glad I kind of balanced between what I knew about her and what the vet knew.
1: (laughs) And, And was it a toy that she had eaten?
0: It was a, yeah, they showed us the, they gave us, gave it to us in a Ziploc and it was a, an amalgamation of toys. Oh, wow. (laughs) Some we recognized and some we didn't. But I, I would have bet so much money that she didn't have a blockage and I ended up being wrong about it.
1: Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, I'm going to make sure we have a link in the show notes and, and I might ask you for the exact one that you used, but I, I really appreciated how you talked about like the quality of life scale and, uh, and resources about, you know, determining whether your dog does still have a good quality of life. Cause I, you know, as, as they start to decline, you know, we start worrying about worrying about when are we going to make the decision? How will we know? And, you know, and so I think that that's important to talk about too.
0: Yeah, I think the one that I used originally, and I, I'm not even sure if it still exists, but it was from Lap of Love, which I I say in the book that was the only company I knew of that did any kind of like hospice or at home euthanasia or anything like that. And I ended up learning there's tons of them, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they have all these resources on their website, and and you can just Google you know, whatever you're looking for is, is out there, as we all know. But there are scales where you can list, you know, daily or weekly or however, however often you want to do it, how your dog is doing on different metrics, whether it's like their appetite or how they're getting around or, um, you know, how, how much they're sleeping, maybe. And it I think it does help to measure stuff like that. Because if you're like me, you kind of forget and things blur together. And then you end up going to the vet, and they're like, "How long has this been going on?" And you're like, "I don't even know. <laughs> like, I don't remember." And uh, you kind of remember what happened, but you don't know if it was a month ago or two months ago. And um, it just helps to have more information to go off of, and and to help you see the trends over time. Of like, oh, things are kind of trending down. So maybe if you're you're like me and you have some denial, and you can find justification for any <laughs> any decision you want to make or any thought you want to think you can kind of turn back to those facts that you yourself recorded and help you make those decisions.
1: So I don't think you ever use this specific wording in your book, but a lot of what was coming up for me was the idea of anticipatory grief. Yes. Where we know our time is limited and and that's scary as hell. (laughs) Yeah. And and we want to try to stay in that moment and like live in the moment, appreciate this. But then sometimes that fear just like grips your heart. And, uh, and I don't think that there's enough conversation about that or uh, resources about, about that. And, and again, I, I just think you do such a beautiful job of, of describe because you're basically just describing this whole process of, you know, like one minute I'm trying to be really grateful. And the next minute I'm like, Oh my God. And, um, and that's really kind of what it what it's been for me and and not, you know. <laughs> I can't even think about that with Penny yet, but you know, just remembering back with Lucy and, and Kalua and kind of you know, it like that's like an added stress, you know, like in your day and and that you're carrying around with you.
0: Yeah, and I I didn't use that word. I thought about it um as I was writing the book and I decided, you know, at the time I didn't know that term and so I didn't use it. On purpose, but I—that's exactly what it was uh, that I was experiencing. And I do talk in the book about some resources, not not even anything about dogs, but just resources that I had seen talking about parenting. Which again, I was like, "This is not parenting. <laughs> I am not a parent." But I I happened upon these resources, and it it turns out that the best way, or this is what they say, you know, the experts say that when you're experiencing that anticipatory grief and you're, you know, usually you're like, at least for me, I was, I was laying in one of Dakota's big dog beds with her and petting her. And I would end up thinking, Oh my God, I don't know how, you know, I know you're getting older. I know I'm going to have to say goodbye. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I used to joke with my husband. I'm like, you're going to have to do all, you're going to have to be the adult because I'm going to be just you know, blubbering, horrible, depressed mess of a person. And I just didn't know how I would ever live without her, honestly. I mean, it sounds kind of silly, I guess, to some no, people, but I really no felt that way. And oh, thanks. Um, and, you know, the dog people get it. But uh, I, I really worried about it. And in those times when I would start to think about that, what the experts say to do is, to say to to shift your mindset and kind of use that anticipatory grief feeling as like a a cue or a reminder to yourself to practice gratitude instead, and what so is I really like,
1: behavioral therapy oh
0: okay, cool yeah <laughs> um so i I really tried to do that, and it came easily to me, I think um what I learned later by writing about this ex- experience is that because I I I just, it's not, it's not a brag. I feel like it feels like a brag, but I just have a positive outlook on things. Naturally. It annoys the crap out of my husband who has a critical outlook on everything. He's like, just this morning, he said, I need you to be a little bit upset with me about this problem. <laughs> like, um, and I'm just like, I never really dwell on things and I see the best in people. And it's, it's an annoying thing once you get to know me, but because I have that personality, it was really easy for me to avoid the negative thoughts and um, and and redirect when I did have them to thinking about gratitude. And um, I'm so glad I have you right now. And I'm so glad that I, I've gotten to live with you and um, and know you and and be your friend and not pet parent. Uh, <laughs> but so it's kind of easy for me, but I do think for, for folks who have trouble with it, it it really does help to, you know, even just say to yourself, oh, that's my reminder, you know, that's my reminder to shift my thinking and just be super glad for what I have now. Um, because, and what helped me was thinking about, it doesn't help my dog for me to be thinking about some unknown future where she's not here. Like, what does that do for her now? What she wants now is for me to be present with her, and you know, and be loving with her, and take her on walks and things like that. and And that's what I want to be doing now. I can do the rest of that stuff later when the time comes.
1: Yeah, I, I sometimes, you know, I look back. It's been seven years now since we lost Lucy and Kalua, and sometimes I feel like emotionally, I probably did like everything wrong, and I wish I could could you know re- redo some of my own emotional stuff because. I wish I had brought a better, like, energy to it. I wish I, you know, I, losing uh, Kahlua passed a couple months before Lucy said Kahlua was the first dog I had ever lost. and And, you know, and that happened, like, really fast. And, you know, we were, like, questioning every decision that we had made and, you know. And I'm just like, I wish I had just made it all a more like loving experience for, for myself, for my husband, for the dogs. Like I, you know, like they pick up on our energy. They know our mood without us having to even say anything, you know. And it's like, I, I wish I had just brought like a better energy to all of it. I don't, I like to think maybe I will in the future, but I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never really know. I mean, that's the tricky thing is like, uh, what I what I would do, and I think it's because I couldn't really focus on like what will this actually feel like uh when it comes to say goodbye. I don't think I could let myself think too deeply about that. So what I did instead was think about logistics. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so I'm definitely it, this was during the pandemic that this was all happening, and I thought, okay, I'm never ever ever gonna take her. And drop her off at a vet. You know, like I'm, I will be with her. I even reached out on this message board <laughs> that I was a part of saying, Hey, have other people experienced, you know, their dogs needing euthanasia during the pandemic and the vet not letting you in? And then, like, my question was, How do you get around that? Because I'm going to, you <laughs> know, like I was like, they will have to. Like hire police officers and come and get me and bring me to my car, but I will be there with her. And so I just thought about, okay, I know I want to do it at home. I know I want, um, you know, it's a it, to be a, a nice as nice as it can be experience for her and like, you know, make sure I have a good last day or a good last week or whatever it might be. And okay, I need to get I need to get a company my credit card number and my address and stuff in advance because I know I'm not gonna want to deal with all that stuff, you know? So I really like leaned into how's this gonna go down like planning wise and and that kind of thing. Cause I, I don't think my brain would let me think about the feelings part of it.
1: And the logistics is is a a part of it that when your emotions are running high, yeah, like your brain can't function about where is my credit card or, you know, so I I think that that's a valid way of approaching it also.
0: (laughs) Yeah, luckily, at least the group that I went with um, for the end of life care They were really kind and, you know, they deal with this all day. So they, 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 they're never going to be like, we need your credit card number right now, you know, get yourself together. But, uh, but you never really know how those things look until you go through them. So it's, yeah, anything you can plan ahead for, go for it. But I don't know if we can, I don't know if we can necessarily plan ahead for how we're going to feel or how we're going to
1: react. Yeah. I, I think the people who are able to do that work are just so special. I mean, like angel people, you know, who, who are able to do that day in and day out and make it, you know, cause this is only the first, you know, this is a one in a lifetime experience for us, but it might just be a Tuesday for them, but they make, you know, they're very present with you, or at least that's been our experience.
0: Yeah. Same. I, yeah, I think it takes a lot, even just, this is going to sound funny, but stick with me. It, it, In hiring people to, you know, take care of your, clean your house or like paint your room or anything like that, like any of these service jobs, it's a big deal to the customer, right? You don't paint your house every day. It's a big deal. You're like worried it's going to turn out well and and But for them, they don't care. Like, you know, it's not their house and they do it all the time and it's very routine. And they also have the confidence that they know how to do it. And, you know, so there's just no second guessing or worries on their part. And I think the folks who work at, you know, Lap of Love and other places like that, I think their skill is is, I don't even know how to say it. Just like whether they're pretending or they really sincerely feel it doesn't matter but they're able to get across that it is a big deal and that they think it's a big deal too and that that just makes such a big difference. Yeah. when you're the person going through it and it's like you're like this is the end of the world for me and I I really need to talk to other people who get that and you know let me let me think that and don't don't downplay it.
1: Do you have any thoughts and I think you touch on this some in, in the book too about like, is it like you don't want to do it too soon, but you don't want to make the decision too late. And I know a lot of people struggle with that. And after everything that you went through, do you have any any thoughts that you can share with, with somebody who might be trying to make that decision?
0: I don't know if I have helpful thoughts on that because I found the decision to be very easy, meaning not that I found doing it to be easy at all. Um, but I found deciding that it was time to be very easy because she let you know it sounded like, yeah, exactly. I, I was really sure about it. I don't know. I mean, I might've been wrong. I have no idea. Right. Cause it can't go back and, and choose a different path. But I remember there was a time when she just, she couldn't stand up. Like she just wouldn't, wouldn't or couldn't, wasn't trying she was just laying in her bed. I, I was like, I have treats, and usually she would do anything for treats. <laughs> um, and she just had no interest or no ability, or I don't know what it was, but she just she wouldn't get up. And I kind of knew right then, like, you know, Dakota not being interested in treats <laughs> was like, okay, we're <laughs> something bad is going on. And uh, and she had also you know, my husband had come home, I was getting ready to go out. Uh, She didn't follow me. She usually was everywhere I was to the point where I was like, please go lay down. Like I'm watching your legs, you know, kind of like give out behind you as you're standing here watching me brush my teeth. You don't have to stand here. Like (laughs) you can go be comfortable. But she didn't follow me around while I was getting ready. She didn't follow my husband around the kitchen making his dinner all those things were very unlike her. and then when she wouldn't stand up for a treat, I thought, okay, this is this is not her. this is not good. Right. Um, so it was, it was kind of easy for me. My husband was slower to get there. Um, so I was kind of the bad guy in that situation going, I hey, I think, you know, we've we've known this was coming for a while. I think we're here. Um, and it took him a little bit more to get there, I think. But I do know, just from reading all the things I've read that most people do say that they wish they had done it earlier. And I don't really hear many people saying the opposite that they feel like they did it too soon. I mean, I'm sure that's a, a wonder that people might have, but if you do it earlier, you won't have a bad last day. And at having a bad last day, I wouldn't say that we did, But it wasn't as good as it could have been because, like I said, Dakota, she was basically paralyzed, so she couldn't go on one last walk. You know, We took her in our own way in a wagon, but she really wasn't feeling good that last day. And so if I could go back and do it a couple days earlier, maybe I would. Um, But it's so hard to know, especially when you're in denial about everything and you're you're, you know, you're like clinging on to every hope of like, well, maybe the vet can fix this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And It's really hard to know when that, when that last day is. But I think the best thing we've got is listen to your animal (laughs) and Mm -hmm. um, they're not, they're not telling, telling you with words, but they're probably telling you. And if you have a friend, this helped me. um, If you have a friend who's gone through it, who you trust, that's a good person to go to, you know, with the, the wisdom, the hindsight
1: to kind of tell you
0: how their experience was.
1: Yeah. I've always just kind of thought like, you'll know. And, and that's maybe not helpful, (laughs) (laughs) but you'll know. And, you know, I'm with Lucy, like I almost wish we had done it like maybe like a day or two sooner. Um, and and we had called and made an appointment. And then I actually called and was like, can you come sooner? You know, because like she just, I just knew. And, you know, and so I don't think I would, but it's like in retrospect, I don't think that I could have done it any differently because I feel like we kind of need to know that we're not wrong about it. Like nobody wants to feel like it was too soon, I, I guess, and that they maybe still had time left but
0: yeah yeah there's no answer right that works for everyone it's not like oh you have a you have a boxer and their lifespan is let's say 13 years you don't go okay well it's their 13th birthday like there's no right right? you know like you just have to kind of balance like how are they how are they doing and trending over time and um and in our case it was really strange i i I had been in denial and kind of pushing this away for so long. And then there came a day where I was the strongest advocate for like, we need to euthanize this dog now. Like I would, you know, it's su- such a weird thing to be fighting hard for the thing you didn't want <laughs> at mm-hmm. all. Um, and, but, you know, but just knowing I think she's probably in pain. We're giving her more pain meds than we usually do just to make sure, but I don't think she's happy right now. And we got to get an appointment now, you know, like, so we need someone to come now. And it's just such a, it's such a mind game <laughs> kind yeah. of, that they, they are going through being like, wait, why am I the one, you know, trying to make this thing happen? That is like literally the least, the thing that I want to happen least in the world.
1: <laughs> because we and, know, like, I feel like it's, like that last act of kindness, yeah. and um, you know, I, I had a friend who lost his first dog ever um, this year, and he would hate the term "dog dad," uh, and <laughs> and he was, you know, really struggling, and I was kind of like, "Look, you did everything." that you ever could have done to make the best decisions like he actually became like a dog trainer he you know would feed all of the best foods you know he literally did like everything every decision he ever made was like the best decision for her and so was that last decision you know and and i i tried to to get him to see it that way you know (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean there's something about our human brains, right, where we're going to find something that we could have done better. Like <laughs> yeah. for me, I, I I have the luxury I guess of of really feeling confident about what I did at the end, but I think back to times when Dakota was a puppy or she was, you know, an annoying adolescent or whatever and just, you know, little things like she wanted to go outside and I was like, "Just wait." you know, wait till I write this email or finish this or get to a commercial or things like that. I think about a lot. And I wish if, if I could go back and do them again with, with this knowledge that I have now, I would give her everything she wanted immediately.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you, you make the point about how like we ask so much of our dogs and they are, and they give it to us, you know, and, um, you know, like changing living situations or, you know, move. It's like, she was there for all of that with you. And, you know, with us, you know, with, with Penny, like she kind of got me through my breast cancer treatment and, and, you know, and she's almost always by my side when I'm recording the podcast. And, you know, it's like, they're, they're such a part of, of us we ask so much of them to be good uh and they are and and it's it's such a, a special relationship and then um you know and and you even talk too about like how they become like a part of our identity and like you had never been an adult without her and like what does this world look like you know without her and i i just think these are all like you you just did again did such a beautiful job of articulating all of this like internal monologue that i think so many of us have been through well, thank you. That means a lot. Like, I, I actually wrote this down, like, she made me me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was true. It's it's a scary thing. And I, I was young, and, and therefore kind of inexperienced <laughs> with, with all this stuff. And I just, yeah, I had, like I said, when I graduated college and got married, we adopted Dakota, and she was with us. We had never been, I mean, I guess for a month, but we had never been married without her. She was always a part of everything that we did. And so even little things where, you know, maybe we had a conflict and we were talking it out, we could look at Dakota instead of each other. We could pet Dakota. We could, you know, take her for a walk while we talked about it. All, everything. She kind of, um, you know, she was all the words in the sentence and all the punctuation <laughs> at the at the end of every sentence. So Yeah, it was a it was I didn't know what I was going to do with myself.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a, you know, so Lucy, my first dog ever, Lucy, she's actually the logo of my podcast, because I feel like, you know, none of this would have ever have been possible if it wasn't for her, you know, and uh, I love that. (laughs) And so you know, I appreciate like your book is like the forever friendship and and sort of realizing that they are always with you forever, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And the, so the company, I own a company called On the Nose and that's the publisher of the book too. You can see the logo on the spine of the book and that my dog is the logo, Dakota, (laughs) Dakota's face is the logo of the company. Cause I felt the same way. I mean, it sounds so cheesy and I know it is, but it's also true that I started thinking, you know, the reason that I had the job that I had at the time was—I mean, not not completely—but she was a big reason. I wanted to work from home. I wanted to do something that I um, could could stop thinking about in the evenings and the weekends, so that I could focus on her. And I, when she passed away, I started rethinking all of it and just being like, "Why? Why am I working here? And what do I want, really want to do? And what would..." Dakota want me to do, you know, like to be the best person and to be the happiest and the most present. Because um, I I mean, I think that's really what dogs and all animals teach us is how to be more present. And so yeah, I launched the business and I wouldn't have done it without her. The book wouldn't be here without her, nothing.
1: Yeah, I, I, I completely get that. <laughs> So one other thing that I, I really appreciated about your book, and, and I think it's very brave for you to share yourself in this way and, and to be this vulnerable. And and I think you maybe touched on it a little but you know, kind of saying, you know, when I look back, I don't really know if I was ever very good at, at being present for people who were going through a hard time. And I don't know if I did a good job of holding space for my friends and my family who were going through a loss or, you know, a grief or a trauma. But yet after having gone through this whole experience, you're kind of like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> and and I just thought that was such a, a vulnerable thing to share about yourself. And and I, I relate with it in my own way as well. Uh, you know, I, I relate with that in my own way, too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would have if you had asked me before Dakota passed away, do I understand what it's like to lose a dog? I would have said of course. I can't imagine, it would be terrible. Of course I understand, but I I 100% didn't. Maybe intellectually, but until I went through it myself, I I really um I didn't know the best things to say to people. I didn't know how to be there for someone who was who had lost someone or who was grieving and I wasn't really, and I still have trouble with it because, you know, sometimes we understand how sad it is and that's still not enough because we're like, I don't really know how to get that across to this person. I don't know what to say. There is nothing to say. Um, so I've, I've tried to be better about, I have a friend and a mentor, Alex shout out uh, who she'll, anytime I ask her for advice about how to say something, to someone I'll say well I you know I feel this way and this way and this way so what do I say to them and she always says just say that <laughs> so you know if someone's going through loss now I just I try to say I wish I had known that person they sound awesome I don't know what to say there is nothing to say that makes this better but I just want you to know you know I'm I'm here and thinking about you and that goes a long way which yes. I I never would have known how long that goes until I experienced? I think b- kind of both sides and everything in between of just like, "Oh, hey, sorry for your loss," or you know those kind of things that are a little maybe dismissive sounding, or yeah, things like um,
1: generic platitudes, yeah, uh, yeah, which they're I- not
0: meant to be that way. I know the, the the meaning is there, the the feelings are behind it, but sometimes if you're going through loss, it can feel like, "Okay, thanks,"
1: yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, and I'm someone who's experienced loss in my life of people, not just the animals, but of people at a very untimely time. And, And like sometimes people say really weird stuff. And like I'd really honestly just have you say like what you just said, then, you know, some kind of what they think they're supposed to say, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: A lot of people, I mean, it's uncomfortable when someone's sad, right? We don't want them to be sad. We want them to be happy. We also, I mean, selfishly and unselfishly, we want, we want them to be good and we want to move on and, um, and have fun with them or whatever it might be. And so we end up, whether me, whether we mean to or not saying things to try to make it better and Often that's the worst thing to do. Yes. You know, (laughs) I don't know about everyone else, but I didn't want it to be better. I was like, no, the world ended and everyone needs to be acting like the world ended because, you know, it was just such a heartbreaking thing. And then everyone else is just going about their day. Yeah. Like, how can you go (laughs)
1: about your day when my world just ended? Yeah. Yeah, It's like, yeah. I definitely felt that way.
0: How are there trees? Like, how is. How is there, you know, anything existing right now? We just need to all shut it down. (laughs) Give me a few weeks. Yeah, Yeah. it's rough. But yeah, if you can be there, it's a vulnerable thing to be there for someone and be there with them in their sadness. But it's so meaningful. I I have to mention, my brother gave me this gift and it wasn't anywhere... Um, it wasn't any time close to when Dakota passed away. It was it was like a late gift, but that did not matter. He So I used to volunteer for an animal shelter in North Carolina when I lived there. And that's not that shelter, but that is the location we lived in when we adopted Dakota. And he went and found that animal shelter and purchased one of their sponsorships. And so there's a plaque, and I think it's still there now, on one of the outdoor pens there's a plaque that says Dakota uh, you know on it and i just think it's so cool when when someone else makes a big deal of something that is a big deal to you and helps you l- let that person that you lost or that dog that you lost live on in some way whether it's you know their story or um or just their name on a plaque that lives somewhere you know it's just such yeah. a it's such a thoughtful thing. So I've tried to take those things that people did for me or said to me and remember the, the things that meant a lot to me and do those for other people. But yeah, I'm still learning. It's a hard thing to be there for for folks in the right way.
1: And, and I think it's just really great to be honest about that, that we're not all always great at that kind of thing, you know?
0: Yeah. I used to joke and I still do sometimes. I'm like, if you're sad, you know, you let me know when you're ready for jokes because <laughs> that's what I bring. Like I bring, you know, that's the thing that I naturally want to bring to the table is like the positivity and the the humor and the that stuff. So I'm, I'm very uncomfortable in the sad feelings, and the, <laughs> the dark feelings.
1: And I, I think it's okay to, you know, to admit that I like, <laughs> I wish more people had that kind of self-awareness about themselves, you know? <laughs> yeah. So one last thing I wanted to ask you, just because I'm curious, when you decided to make room in your family for another dog, was that hard for you? Was it hard for you to see another dog in your space or, you know, what was that like for you?
0: Yeah. Oh, such a good question. It could be a whole podcast episode. <laughs> episode I think, um, yeah, so this is not really in the book. There's some little hints in the book, um, uh, that we, that we adopted another dog very shortly after Dakota passed away, like a ridiculously <laughs> short period of time looking back, but uh i really didn't want the book to seem like it was like we lost our dog but don't worry we got another one you know like i didn't want that to sound like what was what what, what i was trying to say in the book cuz that's not how i felt but i did i worked from home it was the pandemic i had been with Dakota my entire adult life. And I was just like, we got to get a dog in here right now. (laughs) Like, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know. You know, I take a break from work and I'm not taking anyone outside to go to the bathroom. Like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what to look at. I don't know what to talk about. So I rushed into it for sure. um, And it ended up working well for me, but um, I had a friend who lost a dog, I think four months after I lost Dakota And she asked me, she was considering adding a dog to her life again. And she said, did, did getting a new dog make you sadder about losing Dakota? And I said, honestly, yes, but it's so great. Like, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna feel weird. You know, we took our, our dog Phoenix on a, a, her first road trip with us, which is a thing that we loved doing with Dakota. We went on road trips all the time, her and I, or her and I and Brad, And that's weird, you know, like you feel a little bit of a sting being like, oh, we're taking new dog to do the things that we used to do with Dakota. And it feels a little bit like betrayal and she's acting differently and it's all a little weird and, and convoluted, but it, adopting a new dog brought us so much joy. Like we hadn't smiled in a while and giggled and, you know, all the things <laughs> that puppies bring out of you. And so my mom actually said, she's like, it's so good to see you and Brad smiling again now that you have Phoenix. But yeah, it's it's weird because, and we talked about this in the beginning of our conversation a little bit, that dogs know us so well, especially over time. So I had just spent 15 years with this dog who every day for 15 years we we spent together and she knew everything I was asking of her and vice versa. And then I adopt this new puppy who knows nothing about us. And I was just, it, it was a really jarring experience to, you know open the back door and be like why isn't she going out like you know like doesn't she know <laughs> nonverbal cues that i built up with this other dog for so long um so it was, it was a yeah it was a really fascinating experience but i if you have room in your house and your heart i i highly recommend it <laughs> yeah i
1: i know we uh we had lost kalua and we still had lucy and she was doing pretty good for a while. And then there came a time where we were kind of like, oh, it's it's not going as well now. And, and we we know. And then that's all of a sudden when Penny came into my life. And I knew as soon as I saw her that she was meant to be my dog. But it was also like very kind of stressful because we have Lucy and she's not doing so great. and And I can remember telling Penny and kind of putting her she didn't like being in a crate but she would be cool like in in a room by herself and kind of being like look your time is coming (laughs) but you know we we need to take care of lucy right now and uh and i think we had about six weeks uh from the time we first got penny to when we said goodbye to lucy but then it was weird Uh, you know it was very weird like who is the stranger in my house yeah (laughs) you know the strange dog like um and it took me a little bit you know it it and and now I mean now you know it's a seven years later like Penny's like Penny's my girl like Penny's my my girl and uh but yeah I I can remember it being you know a little weird at at first and I you know it was like, that was my family, like me and Tim and Lucy and Kalua, like we that was our family, you know, and like, oh, there's like this stranger here, but we eventually all fell into a, a great place and, and I'm grateful for it. But I, I guess I want to let people know that if that is hard for you at first, that that's okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and not just at first, like I'll, I'll even say we just moved a couple of months ago and we have these, in, these, um, framed, silhouettes of we have one of brad one of me and one of dakota and this is we have a cat now too but this was before he came into our lives and moving here i was like do i put those up or is it do i have to make one of phoenix like you know it's just like the those decisions don't really like always go away and yeah it's just it i i like it because it's i like reminders of dakota but um even if they're kind of difficult but it's yeah, it's such a weird thing to be like, this, this is my family. But it's also the changes, (laughs) you know, who who my family members are change.
1: Yeah. Well, Lisa, you have written just a really beautiful book. I think any pet parent who's, you know, loved and lost, uh, is definitely going to find a piece of themselves in that. And, And thank you so much for sharing your life and your heart with us with with Dakota. Thank you so
0: much for having me. I appreciate it. And everything you do for dogs and people. (laughs)
1: That's very kind. (laughs) All right. I'll make sure we have links in the show notes for everyone so that they can get the book Stay, My Forever Friendship with an Aging Dog. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. I'm so grateful to Lisa for her time, for writing such a beautiful book, for her humor. I think she brings such a good mix of all these qualities to her book, Stay, My Forever Friendship with an Aging Dog. And again, I'll make sure that there are links in the show notes so that you can check out the book, as well as to the other resources we talked about, like the quality of life scale. And I don't want to keep you much longer because I know this one's run long. But before I let you go, I want to let you know two things. Number one, I have a second podcast called The Alternative Dog Moms that I co-host with the fabulous Kimberly Gautier, the blogger behind Keep the Tail Wagging. And if you go to episode 38 of The Alternative Dog Moms, I share more about the details of everything that happened with Penny if you're interested in knowing more about it. It's honestly just really hard for me to talk about it, so I felt like I could really only tell the whole story once and... Kimberly she was so great she was so wonderful about holding space for me to to share the parts of the last 48 hours with Penny that I am able to still talk about and share I know I had shared on social media about Penny and so many of you had left such amazingly kind and wonderful messages and sent DMs and people have sent me cards I've even had some of the previous podcast guests reach out and send me cards and, and people have let me know how much the story of Penny has meant to them. And um, it's been overwhelming in the best way. Um, I'm, I'm just really touched and, and really grateful to all of you who, who have reached out and people have even made donations in Penny's name to Be More Dog, the organization I volunteer with. And if that's something that you feel called or moved to do I'll I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can find it there Um, it's really just been been amazing seeing the support because I know nothing brings us all together like unfortunately the shared experience of what it's like to lose a dog that meant so much to you so just thank you thank you so much for your kindness and graciousness to me And the second thing I wanted to make sure that you knew, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well, and Lisa and I had discussed, you know, keeping track of your dog's health and the ups and downs and when did these symptoms start, and that's part of why I had created the Dog Health Journal, which is, I think, an amazing system for organizing your dog's health and wellness, your visits to the vet. Uh, Right now it's available as a digital download. So you can either print it out as you need it, or you can type right in it as a PDF and save your PDFs for each day or for each day that you need it. And I will make sure I have a link in the show notes to the dog health journal so you can learn more. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you like this episode, remember that you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty much the biggest compliment that you can give a podcaster. Remember, you can always find me on Instagram at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores or on Facebook at Believe in So until next time, this is Aaron Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. believe in dog podcast is a production of hugs and belly rubs llc